The Offsite Podcast is presented by Offsite Consulting, offering financial consulting programs for small business owners and nonprofit leaders. Find Offsite on the web at auphsite.com. When I give a minister an order, I leave it to him to find out the means to carry it out. That's a quote from Napoleon Bonaparte, but even a fearless leader can stumble into their own Waterloo. Today on the Offsite Podcast, we're talking about the talent war and how the right people can help your business thrive. My name's Joe Taylor Jr., and I'm joined by Darnell Suleiman. Hey, Hello. Joe. Hey, Welcome. Man. So today, we're going to talk about whether you're growing a nonprofit organization or whether you're growing a small business, the differentiator is talent, who you bring into your organization. Now, in past episodes, you've explained the distinction between operating as an individual Mm -hmm. owner operator Mm -hmm. and what it really takes to move into being an entrepreneur. Yes. So I thought we would continue that conversation today. Uh, Art Johnson from Infinity Systems cited that Napoleon quote in a recent piece he wrote for the Philadelphia Business Journal. It's titled Why Employee Empowerment Can Lead the Way to Greater Business Success. We'll leave the link to that in the show notes at offsite.com slash podcast. Now at the heart of Johnson's thesis, if you empower employees to resolve customer issues on the front lines, you make money. Johnson called out FedEx. They empowered their folks to be able to reduce service errors. So if your package gets delayed somewhere, uh, they can put it on a faster plane. They can reroute it, put it on a different truck. They don't necessarily have to ask or wait for eight supervisors to give them Mm -hmm. permission. And so Johnson said, well, that cut their service errors last year by 13%. Pretty good metric. So um, that said, you know, we both operate some businesses that are growing and expanding. And we both come from backgrounds where we've had great bosses that have empowered us and and maybe not so great bosses. So for your business, as you continue to grow offsite, um, when you're thinking about those boundaries, what what are the boundaries that you need to set to make your employees feel effective but yet supported when they're in a position and they have to make decisions on your behalf. Thank you, Joe. Um, What boundaries? As you were uh, speaking, my brain said any, any set of any, any uh, money went to my head because (laughs) uh, normally um, if, if uh, my clients call me, they're going to ask me and say, you know, if you spent this amount of money, you know, how much. So the boundary for me were first, you know, we're a financial services company. When it comes to making uh, suggestions to the board, that's, you can't do that. If it comes to delivery of a service with regards to reports, you can, you can handle that, you know? And, and for me, it's, it's about understanding uh, uh, not just segregation of duties, but Oftentimes, the employees or, or the consultants are not aware of the uh, the board's positions that I am aware of mm. and or uh, external stakeholders positions or, you know, what, what they're seeking. So with regards to offsite consulting, what I have when I'm learning to do even now is to uh, present to my consultants, spoon feed them bits of information you know, anything that can help the client 
do their job job as far as as far as senior management. And a lot of time that comes down to reporting, uh, research for procurement of products or services. They have the, they have the uh, the full my my full support to go out and do that. Well, it sounds like the big piece here is to set appropriate expectations from the outset. You know, you have roles in the organization that are very customer and client facing. Yes. And you have roles that are more operational. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so there's a set of competencies that you have to find match up when you've got client facing work, you know, presentations, yes. customer service, mm-hmm. any interaction with folks. So one thing I heard you say was, you know, in in your particular business, you get brought in by a board of directors in a lot of cases. Yes. And the board is going to expect to interact with someone at an executive That's level. That's correct. Right. That so in an agency environment, this would be what would what we would call a relationship manager or an engagement That's manager. Correct. In agencies like ours, it's often the CEO yes. or the creative director that, that comes is correct. in. That is right? correct. So a board member is not necessarily going to interact with someone who's a junior team member unless something goes haywire, <laughs> <Yes>. right? <laughs> we take a day off or yeah. there's some kind of urgent need that always seems to crop up when, you know, the the creative director, the person in charge mm-hmm. goes out of the office, right? So yes. whoever is that number two, number three role has to be ready to dive in and have those skills and that, that information correct. ready to go. It's interesting. Let me let me add to that because with one of my clients, we were they're undergoing a transition between two financial services company, mine and the one that's currently there. And interesting enough, when you talk about uh, what kind of came to my uh, my mind was when I see uh, this particular person that's on site, uh, they did not, they, this particular, uh, for, for another financial services company, they wanted, they felt as though they should have had more say with even bringing my firm in. But what that tells me even as, you know, from this discussion is, they uh, the the per, the current financial services company did not engage in with more professional development, give them a, a broader understanding of their scope of work and what they what they can do, and, and scalability with regards to their authority. So in this case, it comes down to communication and being able to for everybody within your firm for whatever service you deliver should be able to competently speak to what the firm does, how you do it, what your vision, what your mission that is are, correct. so that everybody's in alignment. Yes. You know, when we look at situations where customer service or the perception of customer service has gone haywire, it almost always comes down to a disconnect where, you know, Bobby at the loading dock says that those trucks only that's, roll on Tuesdays. That's what happened. Right. That is exactly what's happened. And it doesn't matter. I don't happened. care if you are the president. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So yeah. that's the piece where on one hand, if you do a really good job onboarding a client mm-hmm. or bringing a customer into your operation and saying, here's how we serve you, mm-hmm. um, then the pressure is lower on your team because they're, they're probably not going to field as many of those 
types of questions. That's correct. Now, the flip side of that is then saying, okay, team, I've narrowed the boundaries for you. I've narrowed those expectations. Yes. But when that ball comes flying at you and it's your job to just catch whatever's coming in, I don't want to hear, it's not my problem. It's not my department. Mm -hmm. I want to hear, hey, I couldn't find you, but I thought about what you would do in this situation. Yeah. Here's what I did. And I emphasize that to my consultants. It's it's an interest, it's 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 you know, culture, and I think we're gonna go over that. Culture is very important, but I I you know, if I send you out on a job, I need you to think, what would Darnell do? Mm-hmm. I, you have to, you have, how, how would he respond to this? And you have to be as proactive as I would, you know, with regards to the perimeters I've set. And so one of the things that we think about is when you have a smaller organization and one that's growing, uh, that filter is really good. I mean, we joke about that in our team as well, where I recently took a day away. I was out sick for a little bit and then I took a day off even after that. And I had some team members that really just had to go through that filter of, okay, let me pretend in my mind that I'm asking (laughs) Joe what I should do in a situation. Mm -hmm. And here's what I think my best guess would be. That really comes down to making sure that that entire time that you are developing your team, Mm -hmm. you are imbuing them with all of the knowledge that you've gained. And, and also you're very clear about why your preferences are that way. So you're kind of building up that empathy for them. In the time it, wow. Yeah. You're, you're a hundred percent on what I'm finding is there, there, there have there. what, What does occur is, the million dollars, all the questions, mm-hmm. all, and how do you know, I, I am trying to do some professional development with you, but some things you have to, I, I had a young man come to me and, um, and I interviewed him and we, he worked with me for a, a couple of days and is it, he, he said war in or, or Penn or one of the places. And I said, listen, if you're going to work for me, you should be reading Harvard Business Review. I shouldn't have to tell you to read Harvard Business mm-hmm. Review. You should be studying me to understand what's going on. Uh, there, there are some legitimate questions. There, there, you know, there, there are questions that you're going to have. But I need, I need you had to also do a level of mental deliberation to understand how is he coming to these conclusions. You, you understand mm-hmm. me? Because often what what the the other side is. As the business leaders, how much of our time are we taking it with regards to professional development side? Mm-hmm. You, you give me your interest in yeah, your thinking there. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I think that that our job as entrepreneurs is about building a bench of talent who are going to be able to take on sets of tasks mm-hmm. or projects so that you know, in the in the micro level and on previous episodes, we've talked about this in terms of thinking entrepreneurially, thinking about moving from project to project, from task to task. Mm-hmm. And at a certain point, when you get a system down, you can set it up and delegate it to somebody who that's can right. implement or execute. Right. It's as smoothly and simple as you do it. And and that's the that's the piece where I think a lot of entrepreneurs get hung up on. Mm-hmm. So why do you think that entrepreneurs have so many challenges letting go of the reins that way? You, you know, it comes for, 
if, if there's anything I have to say, and I'm learning, it's talent. Talent, talent, talent. Um, one of the things I, I, I did forget first is that people lie on their resumes. <laughs> <laughs> And people fluff it up. Let me say, let me use fluff it up. Now I want to offend nobody. So I'll say fluff. Um, and people have great intentions of putting their, uh, you know, the, the best spin on their on their personal human capital and deliverables and how they can contribute to your cause. As an, I think as an entrepreneur, uh, business owner, my brain says, God, are they going to deliver it like I am? Do they understand how I'm looking at this? Even earlier today, um, I was I was talking to one of my consultants and they were like, you know, I don't understand why you did this. I don't understand. And I had to actually, you know, which I was under the position that they were familiar with a particular title. And I said, OK, cool. But I had to actually sit and get them. Um, when, I, when I'm looking at this, dad, it's qualitative. When I'm looking at this, I'm just quantitative. I'm seeing other, you know, uh, uh, other. Con- I'm taking into uh, consideration other variables. As and 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 it goes down to because you know, oh God, it's gonna, how much time does it take me to teach you mm-hmm. than for me to do it myself? So, at you know, I heard a friend of mine, he, uh, not a friend, an associate, <laughs> and he's hiring somebody. He says I'm going to have a three hour interview. I said three hours. And but I'm beginning to understand Mm -hmm. you have to really vet your consultants to because when we talk about them having them giving them the the uh, capability to have the authority to make firm and sound decisions, you have to it's key thing is competency and capacity mm-hmm. you, you got and that's the thing i'm really learning right now and and i'm a big fan i know we've had this conversation of outside of the podcast before i'm a big fan of what's called competency-based hiring this is a term made popular by uh, some folks at corn ferry international uh if you've ever heard of fyi for your improvement uh there's a team called lominger and I forget the gentleman's names. It's it's, you know, it's kind of like when you look at the tabloids and they say it's, um, you know, Brad and Angelina or Brangelina. Well, these two guys did that with their name. They made a company name out of their two names. Nice, and I, nice. I think it's Lombardi and something that ends with Minger. I'll, we'll find it. <laughs> we'll put it in the show notes. Um, but FYI is the book. And it's really funny because it's um, usually only available to big corporate HR teams. Mm-hmm. You buy this thing as a kit. We used it at Apple for a while. I've mm-hmm. seen it elsewhere. Uh, but you can go on eBay and and get yeah. some of these books. They're really good. And the reason I like this is because the philosophy there is around finding people who have the competencies that you need to that fit into your culture yeah. in terms of how you want to deliver a service. Yeah. And then yeah. you separate into a completely separate swim lane the technical skills that someone needs to actually deliver the job. So yeah. I'll give you a great analogy. In a, in a previous job, I found that I did really, really well hiring people for IT sales who were coming up in the service industry, who were bartenders, waiters, waitresses, 
Um, and they were not people. And you know, some of my past like yeah, team yeah, members, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so you can visualize in my head, mm. some of the, you know, in your head, <laughs> some of the people that have worked for me in the past yeah. and you would say, you know, where'd you find them? And I, and I would say, well, actually they were tending bar and yeah. doing a really good job. And the reason that I hired them was because through that, they demonstrated a set of competencies. Yeah. And then I could say, well, I'll just, you know, I'll just teach you the technical skills that you yeah. need because you can just pick that up yeah. in over the course of a few weeks. Interesting. What I can't train yeah. is your desire to serve the customer that way. What I can't train is how you interact with that's, people. That's such a good point. So, and, and I'm learning that. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm learning because, you know, one of the things I'm learning is I'm very driven and you can't replicate. You can't, you can't tell, you know, are you driven? Yeah, I'm driven. But <laughs> how does that look on, you know, in, in terms of your engagement and, and, and seeing opportunity, you know, closing or completing a project and moving on? Yep. You know, yeah. And, and I think that's the thing, because we if you separate out, you know, um, uh, moving into the next segment here, there's a consultant by the name of Wayne Sutton. Um, mm-hmm. I've known Wayne for quite a bit of time. We go back to when we were both in Charlotte for a little while. Mm-hmm. He's now out west in Silicon Valley doing a lot of work with social media and early stage startups. Hmm. And so he has recently, you know, he wrote a blog post for The Wall Street Journal mm-hmm. where he talks about the fact that we keep hearing about this talent gap, you know, company, you know, you'll talk to HR people and they say, mm-hmm. oh yeah, we're missing talent. Can't find anybody. Um, the, the challenge is it's that it's not necessarily that there's a lack of talent. It comes down to how we're trying to find the talent is hmm. often the disconnect. And so what Wayne what is suggesting that? is that we've been doing a lot of this stuff wrong. Right. So you and I are both growing our organizations. We've both been listing positions Mm -hmm. and I don't know what your response has been, but I put up a a post, didn't even put it anywhere other than our own site, Mm -hmm. Twitter and Craigslist for a part time position. And Mm -hmm. within a day we had about 130 job applicants. Mm -hmm. Right. Out of that 130, easily half of them had not read the actual job description. <laughs> yeah. They, they were clearly either yeah. just mass applying to whatever they saw. Yeah. Yeah. Or they, they kind of imposed what they thought the job was mm-hmm. going to be. Mm-hmm. And out of that whole list, what Katie's actually, you know, who Katie's actually going to interview are maybe 10. Okay. Yeah. And then she's going to interview 10 and bring it down to maybe about three or four that she'll put yeah. in front of me mm-hmm. for one job that's part time. Right. Yeah. Now that's a lot of overhead. And yeah. even at that point, we get into the process of, okay, we've put all these filters in place. Mm-hmm. The, the challenge with the way that Americans do HR mm-hmm. is we're not necessarily always hiring for someone who's going to be competent in the role. We're hiring people that are really competent at getting hired. And, 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 and that's the, so, and what, and, and, and I I suppose when we talk about this uh, competency or, or, or talent gap, that's what we're, because, so I send out to a couple of my, well, my new, um, one of my new clients, an overview of the firm. 
And I'm and, and my brain said, they don't know your management style. They're not aware. So I said, I put up a couple audio blogs and a couple of the, uh, you know, uh, podcasts and some, then some blogs. And then uh, at the end of it said, uh, you know, the people who listen to me <laughs> and the people who didn't, yep. you decide. But my intent was to give them an understanding of my management style, the direction of uh, I see the industry, the sector I serve going. It's you know, what you'll find is the 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 people who are uh, seeking employment, they have not taken the time to really investigate you mm-hmm. outside of their comforts, you know, or or, their, or, or what they what, from their perceptions of you know. I had one gentleman tell me, you know, you know, I'm at Wharton. I'm like, yeah. Yes, and? and. <laughs> so, yeah, that doesn't impress me. So, th- that's good. But how can, how do you translate and apply what you've, what you're gaining and increase my return on my investment? And, 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 and what is it that I'm not telling you that you see that's speaking loud and mm-hmm. clear? And this, one young man actually told me, and, 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 and he's going to probably hear this. I really don't care. He says, you know, as we're one of the days out with me, you're walking too fast. I said, did this young man just tell me <laughs> I'm walking too fast? Who says this to their boss? <laughs> but, it t- it, but it tells me you're out of sync yeah. with how my the culture I'm developing in the company. And and that's really something that gets to the heart of Wayne's thesis, which is if you really understand how to communicate your culture mm-hmm. and how mm-hmm. to communicate your needs. Yeah. You know, because as an entrepreneur, you have a system and you have a set of actions that works really, really well for you. Mm-hmm. The challenge as you're adding talent to your team is yeah. you want to make what we would call plus one hires. You know, I, I'm always looking for people who are way better than me at certain specific skills mm-hmm. because it rounds out the team. Yeah. And so on one hand, the trade off is I want to find talent that challenges me to do better as a boss, as mm-hmm. a leader, right? I want to find people who have skills that I lack, mm-hmm. but I also want to set up a system where I understand, you know, we're clear on how we're going to communicate with each other. I'm clear on communicate on, on expectations around how I want people to work. You know, I may not Mm -hmm. micromanage when you're going to be at the office, (laughs) but I want to, you know, in our hiring packet, it's pretty clear. Um, a policy is don't be late for a client meeting. Yeah. Right. So yeah. I'm never going to track you down and say, oh, it's 930. Are you in the office? Yeah. But if it's 1030 and we have a 11 o'clock appointment with a client, yeah. I want to know where you are. Yeah. Right. And and so we set that expectation up front. Yeah. Um, things like that. Things like how, how do you, you handle cultural sensitivity? Because I had a person and I had to say, listen. You're about to go around a community that does not eat certain types of food. You mm-hmm. was eating food around me. <laughs> and you're not aware of this. Yeah. And that's, these are the things that I'm finding. Maybe 20 years ago, you had to take the time to study the culture, the environment. Who are they servicing? 
And so, and I felt it, I, or not felt, I felt awkward having to explain that. I really did because I said, man, am I, I don't want this person to think I'm trying to change their persuasions, but you're about to serve people. Yeah. And you have to take into consideration uh, the our client's uh, culture. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's the thing, because kind of getting brown, you know, down to brass tacks. Um, I'm a Catholic. You're Muslim. Mm-hmm. We work with folks who are Jewish, Protestant. Yes. You know, Across flying the, spaghetti yeah. monster, you know, all that <laughs> stuff. And there's yeah. one level of person-to-person customer service Mm -hmm. interaction. But I think you bring up a really important thing where we as entrepreneurs have to be very empathetic about our clients and customers Mm -hmm. and how we serve them and making sure that we're not inadvertently doing something that offends them, right? The flip side as leaders in our organization Mm -hmm. is we get to define the culture that we want. Yes. Right. So while we don't want to do anything discriminatory. Yes. One thing that it's good to be very mm-hmm. open and clear about is that if there are sensitivities in the workplace, that's right. Let's get those out of the way. So I'll give that's you a really right. good similar good. example, mm-hmm. because when we touch on religion, it gets pretty touchy. Mm-hmm. But what you can control is environmental variables. Yeah. So, for instance, uh, one uh, workplace that I managed was a call center environment. We had a gorgeous workplace. It was a big open plan office mm-hmm. in a converted mill. Gorgeous mm-hmm. facility. Sounds but beautiful. It, it was beautiful. Yeah. It was like one of the loveliest offices I've ever worked in before or since. So as the, the, the windmill? Red brick, barrel nice. ceilings. Oh, wow. It was the nicest, you know, and we handled customer service for uh, banks, okay. right? So I'm working on this consulting engagement there. We're training people. One of the things that we realized, though, after we got everybody loaded into this facility, these big vaulted barrel ceilings, if you came in wearing any deodorant or perfume with more than like a tiny scent, it would just linger in the air. And of course this was in a college town. And so you would occasionally have, (laughs) you know, dude bro who would roll in after like being out all night, just like doused himself in old spice on the way into the, (laughs) into the thing. And the moment that, that guy would walk into the room. Three of my call center agents would just drop over asphyxiating <laughs> because they were sensitive, yeah. you know, to that. So, yeah. so that's one of the things where part of the culture that you can define is, yeah. Hey, you know, here's, here's the thing about food in our workplace. Yeah. Like we have folks here of a variety of different religious persuasions. Yeah. It could be awkward if you yes. roll up with like your triple decker ham yes. club. Yeah. Like yeah. as a boss, <laughs> I kind of, you know, you can't say to that person, like you can't bring that yeah, in. Exactly. But as a boss, what I can say is, you know what? Don't eat lunch at your desk. Yeah. Like yeah. we're making a rule. Yeah. Eat lunch out elsewhere. I had a great boss once that used to say, like, um, you know, your desk is where you work. Where you eat is not my problem. Yeah. I don't want to I don't want to clean it up. Yeah. I don't want to have Good stuff point. around. Yeah. And then there's the other environmental piece of like culturally. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know what? I want you to take a break in the middle of the day. Yeah. So to a degree, it solves the root issue, which is I don't want you bringing X into the workplace. Yeah. I just create an environment that yeah. makes it so that you don't have to. Because that's what I was thinking. I said, God, if she doesn't just run clients, 
I'm going to get a thousand calls and and that will demonstrate that I was not uh, paying close attention to my clients' needs yeah. in, in their respective environment. And that's part of the onboarding with new talent, mm-hmm. which is, you know, understand the sensitivities that mm-hmm. our clients may have and why they may or may not. Now, there's a flip side of this, which, you know, again, you set the culture in mm-hmm. your organization. Mm-hmm. And in one organization that I worked for, um, we had a customer that I was engaged with because I was doing VIP escalations. So mm-hmm. this customer is very upset, got routed to me to be diffused. And what they were really upset about was that they were served in a store by a specialist who was gay. And, mm-hmm. and the reaction to that was basically, Hey, you know what? In our organization's culture, that's fine. Yeah. Like we have zero problems. I see. And if you have a problem with that, that like I will be delighted to refund your money and yeah. you won't be a customer exactly. of ours anymore. That's right. right? That's right. So, yeah. so that's the piece of like where yeah. you're going to set that boundary. Interesting. Yeah. And that's it's, a good policy. And then you as the yeah. leader are going to, you know, that's the, yeah. the message that you're sending like all that. the way down the line so that your team knows where you stand. That's really, I think the thing that Talent needs to know where you stand on those things. And if they don't, that's the problem. Okay. That's the big problem. Good. So um, one thing that Wayne Sutton says is we're often hamstrung by this process where we post a job, we gather all these applicants, and we set this artificial deadline for us to hire a person by, by X. Yeah. And what Wayne is saying instead is if you have a really good sense of how you're communicating the culture how you're communicating the role. Mm-hmm. And if you think that you may have some flexibility around the role based on the skills of the person you bring in, just have the role, have it be open and just network, mm-hmm. you know, connect through your network, go to, <laughs> go to networking events. <laughs> and he brings up a really interesting point. If you go to a networking event where normally people are all looking for business leads mm-hmm. and you're the person that's not looking for a business lead, you're just looking for talent. You can look at that through a whole different lens mm-hmm. and you can mm-hmm. just say, Hey, I want to find the person that's the best here about communicating what they're trying to do. Yeah, and I'm just yeah. going to poach them from where they're at. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of. That's nice. And so that's another way of looking at how do you staff to those needs. Now, sometimes there's going to be an external deadline. You're under the gun because yeah. there's, you know, a role that needs to be filled because mm-hmm. there's tasks associated with it. You just can't mm-hmm. live without, or you're on deadline for a project or a deliverable mm-hmm. of some kind. Um, Wayne's suggestion at that point is sometimes you may just have to uh, do a short-term contract, yeah. find a, a 1099 person that yeah. can maybe do some of that or outsource it. You know, we've talked before about when to bring something in house, when to outsource yeah. it. Yeah. So there's certain elements of that where it's kind of like, all right, if it's a, if, if I'm running into problems because this gap in my org chart mm-hmm. is keeping tasks from getting done, mm-hmm. let's look and see what of those tasks we can maybe outsource. Exactly. And then exactly. keep that role open, keep that headcount open until I find a person where That's I say the, that person 
needs to be in our organization. Yeah. yeah. So that's a different way of looking like at it that, that I thought I like was pretty that. refreshing. Yeah. So uh, quick note to listeners, uh, as always, Offsite Consulting, sponsor and host of the podcast here. Offsite Consulting provides financial consulting programs for small business owners and nonprofit leaders. Darnell and his team manage vendors, reconcile bank accounts, handle tax filings while helping clients focus on long-term revenue growth and tax minimization. You can find out more by visiting Darnell and his team on the web at Offsite, A-U-P-H-S-I-T-E dot com. Now, before we wrap up this episode of the podcast, one more thing that we wanted to talk about, mm-hmm. talent, and it pertains to entrepreneurs. Now, if you consider yourself an entrepreneur, this next statistic might be a little good news. <laughs> if you're if you're not, it may have you thinking. Um, Ruth Simon and Kaylin Barr over the Wall Street Journal did a little research and figured out that the share of people under the age of 30 who own private businesses, as reported to the IRS mm-hmm. and local agencies, has reached a 24-year low. We have fewer young entrepreneurs than we've had since before Clinton was in office. I'm smiling because this is less competition. <laughs> That's what I thought. Less competition for, for you and me. We're like, bet. This is great. Yeah, because... Right? Oh, this it, it's, it's but go ahead, continue because I, I want to talk about that. Go <laughs> well, ahead. Well, mm. this is this is a thing that comes up often, especially when when we talk to you know you and I both serve a lot of small startup organizations, yeah. both nonprofit and for profit. Mm-hmm. And so one, you know, it's interesting because on one hand, it's less competition for us, but it also means less potential new business for us. Yes, because we serve startups. Yeah. So one of the things that uh, these writers found was that there's a little bit of a generational gap. And I think um, when I dig into some of that data, here's what I observe. Mm -hmm. So folks that are kind of in our age bracket, you know, Mm -hmm. we, I guess, are at the tail end of Generation X, Mm -hmm. essentially, right? Um, Which in the 80s, we were as derided as the millennials are now, you know, oh, these Gen Xers, they're slackers. Don't laugh at me. What's the... What's the X? What's, What's the, the cutoff? Yeah, well, there's the an cutoff? author name. <laughs> what? Who did this to us? There's an I just author. want to make sure I got the, the age group right. So there's, a, there's an author by the name of Douglas Rushkoff, mm-hmm. who in the 80s, basically 80s, early 90s, kind of set out these, these brackets between the baby boomers and the generations that followed the baby boomers, okay. right? So if you're in kind of our age bracket. So what's the baby boomers age Baby bracket? boomers right now are folks that are turning, you know, the youngest baby boomers are kind of in their mid 50s, mid to late 50s at this point, okay. right? Um, Generation X at this point. Are okay, I'm right below X. that. Yeah, okay. we're generation. Like okay. right now, if you're Got kind you. of between like 35 and 55. Oh, is that, is that big? Yeah. It's 20 well, years? And if you if you read Rushkoff's <laughs> okay. stuff, he's got, got waves within that. Okay, I see. He actually writes, wow. it's based on the based on whatever the first video game console your household had was. Pong. So, yeah. So if you're okay. an Atari wave. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You're at the head end of Gen X. If okay. you're the Nintendo wave. I see. You're in the back I end. I see. Right? Okay. 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 And then you have Gen Generation Y, mm-hmm. which are the folks that my sister is Gen Y. Okay. My okay. little sister. Okay. And now the, the folks that are at coming to us for internships are what <laughs> we call either Gen Z or millennials, right? <laughs> 
And the poor millennials get picked on so much because it's so, they're just sitting ducks oh, sometimes, right? It's God. so easy to pick on millennials. Okay. The criticism being like, these are the kids, the first wave of kids in America that were raised where everybody gets a trophy. You know, everyone's a winner, right? <laughs> So, you know, there's all kinds of tropes about millennials, but here's what I've observed. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, when we were coming up, all of the stories that we heard about entrepreneurs mm -hmm. were about strong, independent entrepreneurs. We hear about Henry Ford. Mm -hmm. We hear about Thomas Edison. What's the gentleman in Pittsburgh? Um, Hines? You're still, still, uh, not right. Oh God. Carnegie. Yeah. Carnegie. This yeah. is why I wasn't a history major. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. um, this is, this is all the stuff that we hear stories that we heard yeah. were about here is an individual that rose up and built a business. Yeah. Right. But what I observe now are startup founders in their early twenties who really gravitate towards founder teams. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of chatter conversation Interesting. among, especially angel investors where they will say, you know, I don't really want to invest in one person. I want to invest in a team. Okay. I want to see that you've got, you know, two, three, four, five co-founders that are working together. And so I wonder if part of this, <laughs> Interesting. if part of the That's statistic a is, dynamic. yeah, if, if it's not that you've got people who are self-identifying as solo entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. as much as you've got a bunch, maybe the same, roughly the same number of people that are working in startups, but consider themselves a co-founder and an employee of the startup mm -hmm. as opposed to working for themselves. Mm -hmm. So that, I mean, that's me projecting onto this data based on my experience. Um, but the other thing that I observe is that uh, we have a lot of folks, especially in that millennial bracket mm -hmm. who, because of this upbringing where they've never really experienced failure at a, <laughs> at a fundamental level. Sorry for that. <laughs> <laughs> to us, yeah. this seems to us, this seems completely weird because we grew up at a time where it was basically like you would get your butt kicked on the dodgeball field. You would go out for little league, you get jumped and, around a corner, go oh, get a, a popsicle. Yeah, I mean, a yeah, popsicle is a piece of uh, frozen ice on a stick. <laughs> <laughs> and I think there's there's that element of like where you grow up, mm. too, because yeah. if you if you grow up in uh, you know an environment where the most aggression you experience is there's a bully at the end of the cul-de-sac. Mm -hmm. That's it. Like there's a different experience That's than right. when like you're in, an, in, you're growing up in neighborhoods where bad things happen, like really bad things happen. You know, I, what, what I tell people is we have never had. So when, when, when I consider the talent gap, when I consider what the people are striving to oh, have their own company or not, I believe a lot of the perception uh, and where, where people believe they should be is because we live in an era where instant information. Mm -hmm. There is almost no time taken for digestion of the data, application of the data. And and, and so when, when you and I grew up, we heard, you know, take your time, you'll get it later. You know, I think the biggest thing to us was uh, what was the beepers and 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 we used to put 
numbers for remember? oh yeah remember when yeah. you got your first pager yeah and it oh, was yeah, like it's called pager <laughs> beeper yeah, well yeah. that was a, that was the big innovation yeah. like when you went from the beeper to the pager is, is you that, could actually figure out like text met before text messaging yeah we had codes exactly. like you would spell words like when you would hold the calculator it, upside down mm-hmm. like yeah so you had all that stuff going on and, and you that helped it develop out. yeah so what's what I believe has which has happened is, and and, and that's not to marginalize uh, what was stated on on this writing. So now there's instant gratification for the past twenty years that everything is you know from on demand. You know, remember even cable, you had to wait three years for your favorite movie to come <laughs> out, and it still didn't come three to five years. So this even to watch Hulu and flip and yeah. say. Oh, I'm gonna watch uh, uh, my blacklist the next day. It it was unheard of. Well, it was like you would have to go to the video club and like hang. Remember hanging around like Blockbuster? Yes, like, waiting to see if someone was returning the video yes. that you wanted. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so what has happened? We have a society that is void of this this component of time, patience. Which, which, which is, in my opinion, has you know, it's 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 a it's a character development side. Mm-hmm. That's what I because I'm not sure if it's because of because I see adults who are well into their 40s and 50s who have <laughs> these same personality perceptions and mm-hmm. and one of the things and and I believe in what has happened in the last 10 years. Now we have you know. Now that we have augmented personalities on Facebook and all the other internet applications, you know you can go, you can get on, to, you can get on Facebook and create your own ideal, you know, this yeah. ideal self versus your real life. Well, that <laughs> and, and there's a disconnect. Really coming full circle to something that we talked about at the very beginning: the idea that we're going through all these resumes and these application letters. And no one is going to submit to you an application letter about the time that they failed or about the time that and, something happened. And sadly, they got, we would we would probably hire them. That's faster. the thing. <laughs> the, the thing is, what I want to know yeah. is if something goes south, Good. Yeah. do you have the skill set to turn it around? That's right. Or to that's grow right. and learn and, and change from it? And that's what we're void of. Now. Yeah. No, yeah, getting your uh, behind kick. I wanted to use the other word, but I'm not sure. <laughs> but we're trying to yes, avoid yeah, the explicit exactly, tag on exactly, iTunes. Yeah, <laughs> but that's that's you're you're so on point because we grew up and you it was this thing. I'm a and, and last so you know someone I was in a car and someone asked me. He said, "How would you?" You said, "You know, tell me about young man who was from Congo, I believe." And he said, and he's driving me around, and he says, "Tell me about the time, you know, tell me about the pitfalls of your business." I said, "Huh?" He said, "Tell, explain it to me, you know, the pitfalls, I, you know, tell me, you know, how did you overcome them?" I said, "You know, I said there was no alternative." Mm-hmm. I said, I, and part of it could be from this mythological perception that we grew up under, you're going to make it regardless. And so what you got, your, you know, your elbows, yeah. you got roughed up, but that was the ultimate, the, the goal. Now we, uh, part of that, we live in the era of it's okay. Yeah. And you don't, and, 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 and so what you lost $50,000 of your grandmother's money. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I just went really pale. <laughs> so, okay. But, but yeah. what I want to know from that person is, okay, that happened. How did you get out of it? How did you get pe- past it? How did you get beyond it? No, I think people quit now. Yeah. Did well, this is a, the, sur- yeah. the survey that the authors in this Wall Street Journal piece cite. Uh, according to Donna Kelly, who's a professor at Babson College, does a survey every year. And according to her, more than 41 percent of Americans between the ages of 25 and 34 who saw an opportunity to start a business. These were folks that self-identified as I saw an opportunity. I thought I wanted to start the business. 41 percent of them said I didn't start the business because I'm afraid to fail. So almost half. I hear that. And and so on one hand, there's an opportunity here for people to kind of overcome that mm-hmm. fear of failure. Yeah. I think on the other hand, when we come back to the idea of the talent gap, those are folks that that we could look at and say, OK, they may have that entrepreneurial competency mm-hmm. that we want, but something's still holding them back. Mm-hmm. So for us as leaders, what are the things that we can task them with? How can we bring them into mm-hmm. our organization so that mm-hmm. their risk may be less, but they still have a lot of those competencies. It's just that, you know, we're, because it's our name on the shingle, we're already absorbing all the risk and we're yeah. used to it. I mean, yeah. entrepreneurs, just, you know, don't know how to do anything that's not risky. There's yeah. a new flavor at Starbucks. Yeah. Let me try that. I yeah. don't care. Let's see what we'll happens. See. Okay. Never, never going to do that yeah, again. That's it. But I think that's, that's something that you build up over time that you understand yeah. how critical the risk is. Great point. And it's not, it's, it, and, and you you said it, we, we didn't take risk. Uh, the, the risk that people may see me uh, put on a market it's not the risk that I took five years ago. Yeah, it it it's over time, and 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 many failures and mm-hmm. and and successes and 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 revamping some of my ideas of how I wanted to engage. And I think that's the thing that as entrepreneurs we're good at uh, overcoming and pushing back because when we communicate effectively about the business, we're communicating the positives. Yes. What folks don't know is that. You know, the business that you see now originated as something completely different that is and correct. we pivoted, right? That is I correct. Mean, we even look at folks like Richard Branson, who's mm-hmm. managed to take a single record store, or even think before that it was a student magazine, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That, that ultimately became Virgin. Yeah, that's right. That's but right. But he's had about 18 different business models <laughs> before, <laughs> you know, Tubular Bells came out, which was a single that turned his little record store oh, wow. into a label that then turned into what's he doing now hotels and yeah. pools and yeah yeah <laughs> but, but all those things along the way right. that didn't work that you don't hear about That's anymore right. Right? right but i think there's that a big difference between year one and the risk is if this doesn't work i don't eat yeah you know my family's on the street yeah i have nothing versus year five which if you make it to year five it's like okay my risk is maybe i don't get to like take a vacation this year or maybe you know you're not the point where you're putting every single thing on the line (laughs) all the time but you get you but those first couple of years starting out it definitely is that yeah and and we talked about this lifestyle ideology 
Yeah. Yeah. So next week on the podcast, we're going to actually continue this conversation and shift it into how do we take all this, uh, all these notions about developing our talent and we put that talent to work by doing good in our community. And there's some really interesting things about solving some of these same issues with talent and letting them develop, but at the same time, turning that into something positive for our community. So that's next week. And in the meantime, I'm Joe Taylor Jr. Thank you, Darnell. Thanks, man. We'll see you next week. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions stated represent those of the speakers and not those of their employers, the producers, 2820 Press, or any program sponsors. This podcast does not constitute legal, business, or financial advice, nor should you take any action on anything you hear during this podcast without consulting a competent advisor. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or blog. This has been a 2820 Radio Production.